those things are really important if you do want to see success in business or in your life. You got to take that first step. So take action, do the thing that seems a little bit scary and continue to build on those steps of success. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, I'm excited to introduce you to our newest host that we're bringing on to the team. His name is Slocum Reed, along with myself and Ash. Slocum will be providing value to every interview he does. I've known Slocum for years and I've watched his portfolio continue to grow. He currently owns and operates 65 units, including converting three units into an office building. So he's an owner operator. He's coming from certainly a different perspective than I have. I know he's going to bring his expertise and cut through the fluff and get the best real estate investing advice ever for you. So welcome, Slocum Reed. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. And today we have John Kassman with us here. How are you, John? Hey, Slocum. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me today. Great to have you. John is the founder of Kassman Capital Group, which aims to help busy professionals invest in real estate without taking on a second job focusing on multifamily investments. Current portfolio of $40 million as GP. Total investment experience as a GP is over $100 million. He's closed $20 million in 100 days in 2021. He was on this podcast five years ago, and the title was something like from two units to 13 units. John's been busy. He also has his own podcast called Multifamily Insights. A lot going on, John. Yeah, man. It's uh, been a lot of growth since that very first interview around five years ago. And ironically enough, it was around the same time of the year when we did the interview at that point. So it's actually a really nice time to be back on the show and happy to be talking to you. Great to have you. So tell us about this 20 million in 100 days. Is that the past 100 days? Not literally the exact 100, but within 100 days. Yeah, it was basically from late July to early November. And the short of it is, and I think the key here is when we were looking at our business for these two deals, they just stacked up where we were able to close them back to back. Now that may not seem that big, but for us, the thing that was actually important was we didn't do a deal in 2020 between COVID and so many other factors. We actually didn't close on a multifamily apartment building in 2020. Even though we had plenty of experience in other deals prior to that, 2020, we didn't do a deal. So to go from not doing a deal to doing $20 million worth of real estate in 100 days took a lot of work and took a lot of action. And quite frankly, talking to a lot of other investors and just getting them back online and let them know what we're working on and took a lot of communication. But we're really excited to close on both of those assets and continue to grow from there. And the market's a lot softer this year, right? Than it was last year. It's just so much easier to find deals now. That's a joke. Where did these I was come from? Like, Why man, is it? Serious? Yeah, no, I'm just, I was just making a joke. These two deals now, it's not like multifamily went on sale when COVID happened. So not buying in 2020 makes a lot of sense. I didn't buy anything in 2020 either, come to think of it, other than some small little single family flips. Now you're buying in 2021. What changed? Is it a shift you're seeing in the market? Is it your underwriting criteria? Is it just you having more time now to adapt to the market that we find ourselves in? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I actually pinned a blog for the best ever blog. So that'll be up soon. And I go into nice. it a little bit. And there were a couple of things that were really important to make this shift. The first thing was I had to step back and I had to get some advice because the reality is there were people around us doing deals. And I knew there was something that we must have been missing. There was something that we weren't doing, something we were missing. We had to step back and understand what are you looking at when you're doing these deals? What's your approach? So I spoke to my advisors and I got some counsel from them to say, what are you seeing? What are you doing? How are you adjusting? And that really informed the strategy from there. Second thing was getting a bit more creative. I think sometimes we sit, we underwrite deals. If it doesn't fit how we've been investing in real estate up to this point, we don't do it. Well, the reality is the market is very different today than it was five years ago when I was on the show after doing the eight unit property, right? The market's different. The numbers are different. The investing strategies are different. The capital that is looking to go into real estate is different. So if you're investing with the same strategies that you had five years ago, you're not making any progress. So we had to step back and recognize we need to get a bit more creative. We need to figure out where there's opportunities to adjust our approach while still staying true to our fundamental principles. And I think that's the key part. You have to have a strategy and principles, things that you stand for, things that you believe in, but there have to be other elements where you are willing to be a bit more flexible and adjust your approach so that you can react to the market as it is today. And also what you anticipate the market to be in the future to protect yourself. And then the third thing that we did a little bit differently was really starting to get more aggressive. And when I say aggressive, I'm not talking about the underwriting, I'm talking about our actions. So how many deals are you actually underwriting? How many deals are you touring? How many offers are you putting in? How many conversations are you having with people? At the end of the day, if you're not seeing enough deals, putting in enough offers, then you're not gonna get that deal. So we had to step up the number of deals we were looking at so we could actually get something that worked. That's awesome. John, aside from getting more aggressive and just getting in front of more opportunities in 2021, what other tangible ways did you adapt your strategy to get these deals? Well, I think we took a different approach. Typically, we're looking at medium value add deals, right, where we could come in, renovate the units, add value, look at other ways to add value and increase the NOI. And part of what we try to do is say, you and I play poker together before, right? So part of it in this market is instead of playing chess or checkers, sometimes you're playing poker and you're trying to understand with that other owner, what are they looking for and how do you craft an opportunity where it can be advantageous for yourself? So I was speaking to Ash Patel the other day. I know Ash is pretty involved in his show as well. And what Ash and I talked about were properties that were mismarketed or mismanaged. And if you could find those properties that are mismanaged or mismarketed, then you can create value. And that's where that poker aspect kind of comes in because now it's not about me trying to beat every other investor in the world looking at the same property. It's really a matter of understanding what that owner is looking for or that broker, if the broker is involved, and then how do we create a win-win solution for ourselves, the owner, and the broker? These two deals in 2021, were you direct to seller or were they brokered deals? Both were brokered, but they were both pocket listings, I guess you could say. One was actually an expired listing, and the other one was a listing, but it was being mismarketed is the way I would characterize it. We'll get back to the show in a few minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll get some value in learning more about. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. 
They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive Investor Guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Mark your calendars for the best ever conference, February 24th through 26th, back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies, building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. You can get 15% off right now with the code BEC15 at besteverconference.com. That's the code BEC15 for 15% off at besteverconference.com. Expired listings still went out to the public. Mismarketed listing also going out to the public. What is it that you saw that other people who had the opportunity to offer on these didn't see? Well, great question. On the one that was expired, and I guess technically it didn't expire, but they stopped marking it. (laughs) So it went from being listed and available to wasn't being shown. They weren't talking about it, but the owner was still interested in selling. And time changed. When we underwrote the deal, I think it was 18 months prior to that or two years prior to that, the numbers just simply didn't work. And over time, as cap rates compress and we see more upside of the market and rents start to go up and the operations improve, now they started to make more sense that there was an opportunity. In addition to that, we also expanded our exit options and we saw that there was more value to be created than we initially anticipated when we first looked at that deal. So that's one of the things on the first deal. On the second deal, they didn't understand the story, in my opinion. I don't think they understood the story. The the, uh, broker, the brokers didn't understand the, the story of the property. I've never seen this before, but the offering memorandum was seven pages, and that included the cover page and the contact us page. So there were five pages of information on this property. And I just don't think they did a good job of really highlighting the value add opportunity. And to the point where we almost passed on it, we almost didn't underwrite the deal because we didn't see the story right away. And it wasn't until we got on the phone and talked to them and really learned more about the property and where things were that we saw where there was an opportunity for us to take this to a different level and really digging into the comps, figuring out where the market was and understanding how we could create an opportunity here. So it took some creativity on our side. But to be honest, we almost passed on the deal ourselves for the same reasons other people did. They didn't tell the story. And in this market, brokers are extremely savvy. So they understand how to show you all the ways you can make money on a property, even if it's not generating that income today. And because this deal didn't do any of that, we almost missed the opportunity. Where is this property? That one's in Louisville, Kentucky. What part of this story was not being told? You've closed on this now, right? (laughs) We've closed on it, yes. What is the value that you're adding or what is it about the market that was not being recognized? Well, first of all, in the OM and the offering materials that were sent out, none of the story was being told. They basically said, here's a property. You only have five pages of real information. It just said, here's the property. Here's where rents are. Here's when it was built. 
it didn't tell a story at all. It didn't show how you could create value. They didn't highlight that there was upside in the market. So initially, we didn't think there was either. Until we dug into it and looked at Compson, it took some work to really understand the market and this property because this property was a new asset. And it's a new asset, but it's a B-class asset. So it was difficult for many investors to understand how they could create value on a new B-class asset. We love that fact because one, we've got a better quality property than what most other B-class properties have. But on the same note, we're talking have about this, new construction in the B new, area. 2019 built property. Wow. Yes. But in the B area, that's right. So a property B area, which typically we wouldn't want to see, but because there's so much demand in the market right now, we actually believe in trying to get higher quality assets today. The way I would think about it is if you're buying a car, right? Used car prices shot up during COVID. If you're buying a brand new Cadillac, and let's just say they want $60,000 for it, and a five-year-old Cadillac is being available for $55,000, you might say, hey, for the same amount of money or for something very close to that, give me the new Cadillac. And at a certain price point, you'd rather have the higher quality asset then trade down and have to increase the value and all that yourself. And for and, the next uh, five, that, 10 years, it should be lower maintenance, right? Both the Cadillac and the apartments. That's exactly it. And that's the logic for us was to say, hey, you know what? We actually think there's more opportunity here because we won't have all the repair and maintenance expenses that you typically see when you're buying a 40, 50-year-old property. You're buying something that was built two years ago. So that was really important for us as we underwrote that deal. But we also had to step back and rethink and reapproach the way we underwrite a deal because it wasn't the 40, 50-year-old property where you expect a certain amount of things to break every single month. You do expect the property to maintain itself a little bit better. Now, you still have to have some repair and maintenance for sure. All properties, no matter brand new or 50 years old, all properties need some kind of repair and maintenance, but certainly not to the same extent as maybe an older C-class type property. Sure. How much has the pandemic rent growth factored into the way that you're looking at deals now? Not much. We don't really boost up our numbers based on that. Obviously, right now, demand is really hot, but we don't foresee that being the case for three, five years down the road. So really, we're buying based on current market rents, where we think we can take market rents to. And we're using some of our historical averages as far as the rent growth opportunities going forward. But we're not banking on a double-digit rent growth. I, I don't think that's realistic to put into your underwriting. So we're not using that at all. The best ever listeners know now that you and I are friends, that we know each other outside of this podcast. I hold your opinion and your experience in high regard, John. So I'm going to get selfish and state an opinion here that my personal opinion would be pretty close to this. I want to know what you think of it. And I want the best ever listeners to get a couple minutes of us having this conversation. Please, whether you agree, disagree, hit me as hard as you can. I want to know where you're coming from on this. The majority of my current portfolio right now would be C-class. Workforce housing is not a term I always enjoy, but it qualifies in this regard. And one of the things that I've seen during COVID, including in the end of March 2020, which is when the state of Ohio got our shelter in place order. A lot of people lost their jobs, but a lot of employers jumped in with $15 an hour jobs all over the place. Anyone who lost their job could go make 15 bucks an hour somewhere. There were opportunities available. We're seeing not necessarily the minimum wage on a federal or legislated level going up, 
but we're seeing within the C-class employment that wages have gone up. I don't think that's going to go anywhere. I don't think that people are going to be willing to work for eight or nine bucks an hour anymore now that they know that they can get 15 somewhere. I think that also does a lot for the rent that those people can afford. And I see C-class rents rising and staying higher because wages are staying higher. Volatility in the job market, yes, but there were jobs available to these people all the way through COVID if they were willing to change industry, learn something new, go make 15 an hour and be able to afford higher rents than they could before. So C-class rents are going up. They're going to stay up. And anyone who's buying right now is going to be able to see increased rents in C-class workforce housing. All right, John, what do you think? Uh, Man, it's a very interesting observation. I agree with much of the observation. I do not believe you're going to be able to get people to go back to 725 or wherever the minimum wage is right now. If you can find jobs that are paying 13, 14, $15. With that said, as an investor, I think the minimum wage is not the thing you should be focused on. Because first of all, we've got an international audience. When you're thinking about this, you have to think about your market. And what's really important is understanding affordability. So when you think about affordability, you're talking about people who have maybe 30% of their income is what they should be spending on rent. If you're in a market or you're talking about C-class residents who are spending more than that, then it's not affordable. If they got to spend 45% of their income on rent, that's not affordable. So yes, they can make more money, but the reality is, is that they're still pretty tight. And those individuals just don't have the bandwidth for different expenses that may pop up. And a lot of times there's lifestyle creep. So and to be yes, clear, yeah. John, to your point, I'm in Cincinnati. I'm in a Midwest market. So I've pulled into too many Wendy's recently. When every Wendy's is hiring at $13 an hour, that makes a big deal in the C neighborhoods, in the Midwest and in the South. So I'm really talking more specifically about these more higher cap rate cash flowing MSAs, but please continue. Yeah, but to your point though, what I think it does is it raises the floor. So in these markets where, and we invest in the Midwest and and part of the reason is we believe that rents will continue to go up in a lot of these markets because they are very affordable. And as people are making more money, they will have a little bit more disposable income. Lifestyle creep will definitely kick in, but you're also going to see that they'll have a little bit more money and they're willing to pay that. And that's why you are seeing rents in some of the markets like Detroit and St. Louis. These markets have had 12, 17, I believe 11% growth in rent from the previous year. The only way you're able to see that kind of rent growth in what many would consider a stagnant market is because they were pretty affordable to start out with. When you look at New York and San Francisco, you saw rents come down in markets like that. And the reason is there's a level of affordability where there's a supply and demand side that comes into play. And people recognize that, hey, the rents we have here are really affordable. Now, if they're making more money, they can afford to pay more. And there's also the quality of housing that's available. So I do think that you will see rents continue to increase, especially in the C-class properties. But I think you should pay close attention to affordability. Just because we're talking about this doesn't mean you should go out there and expect to get $1,000 for a studio if you are in Cincinnati or some of these markets. You really need to understand what's affordable to the resident and understand rent projections based off of that. We'll get back to the show in a few minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll get some value in learning more about. How are you doing on your goals this year, whether it's planning for your goals or whether it's executing on those goals? I imagine one of them has to do with financial freedom, taking control of your finances. And I can tell you that is a possibility within the next one to three years. 
using a proven system created by my friend Michael Blanc. He's got the program Deal Maker Mentoring. Here are some of his students who have been in the program and what they've accomplished. Melanie McDaniel, she closed her first 24-unit joint venture deal and is now pivoting to become full-time in the industry. Within five months of joining, Cheryl Groovy from Atlanta, she had a 34-unit deal under contract, and she partnered with two other deal-maker mentoring students, and together they raised $700,000. And Brian Briscoe, he said thanks to deal-maker mentoring, he had the opportunity to accelerate his timeline and go after much bigger deals than he would have on his own. If you are ready to commit to achieving your dreams this year and you've been thinking about getting into multifamily, well, text the word Joe to 66866. Again, that's the word Joe. You know how to spell my name, right? J-O-E to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind, and let's get you started with your own syndication business. Deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors, and I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate and follow-up boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals or you can follow up with your investors and you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Followup Boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial twice the length of the normal trial for a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. I want to boil this down to one quick question and get your answer. In these higher cap, higher cash flow Midwestern and Southern markets, where we've seen serious lower income rent growth, if we can find places, John, where lower income wage growth has outpaced lower income rent growth, we can project increased rent growth. Yes or no? That would be step one. I think you also have to understand supply. How many apartments are there? What's the rent growth? Because rent growth is not about how much someone makes. Rent growth is a matter of demand and what are their options. If you've got 100 new apartments there, then you're competing on your rent number based on those 100 other apartments. If you're the only play in town, if you're the only thing that's affordable, then you have a lot more leeway as far as what you can charge there. So I think it's more reflective of supply and demand. But I will say that wage growth absolutely opens up the door for rent growth because people can and will pay more. Think about it logically. If someone was making, say, $10 an hour, they get a pay increase. That's 50%, right? They go up to $15 an hour. Well, what's going to happen? they're likely going to look for a better apartment than the one they had before. 
So now there's more demand for maybe a B-class property or B-class apartment. And what happens to that same person who was making $40,000 and now they're making $60,000 or whatever it is. The point is they're all trading up. And in a great market, people trade up for better quality properties and then rents go up all around because guess what? There's more and more demand for these kind of properties. So I do think you'll see that trend play out, but I think it really comes down to demand and you really need to dig a little bit deeper into the numbers to understand what's really going to play out from in your neighborhoods. So you can track wage growth as a correlation to rent growth, but you also need to be tracking inventory supply to make sure that that wage growth will actually translate to people being willing to pay higher rents for what you have as opposed to trading up. Yeah. And I think too, people typically want to trade up to something nicer. So if there's new developments happening in the market or something like that, that may have a pretty big implication or impact on where you see your rents as well. What is your best ever advice? Take action and do the thing that's a bit scary. When I was on this show five years ago, uh, it was the first time I was ever on a podcast and didn't think that I was ready to be on a podcast. Here we are, and I've hosted my own podcast now for four years, and we've done over $100 million worth of real estate. And part of that comes from taking action and doing the little things that make you a little nervous and maybe give you some trepidation, but it can snowball. And those things are really important if you do want to see success in business or in your life. You got to take that first step. So take action, do the thing that seems a little bit scary and continue to build on those steps of success. Awesome. John, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. Great. What is your best ever way to give back to the community? Surge for water. Surge for water is a nonprofit organization that invests in sustainable water solutions for global communities. I've been a part of the organization for four years now, and I just love that every dollar that is donated goes directly to the field and directly to helping people in need in countries like Dominican Republic, Haiti, and we have three or four other countries, the Philippines, we've got about three other countries that we impact. That's awesome. What's the best ever book you've recently read? The 80-80 Marriage. Not really real estate, but your home life is so key to having success. And it is a relationship book. And the book basically talks about not shooting for 80-20 or 50-50 in your relationships, but trying to shoot for 80-80, which means both of you go above and beyond to help take care of anything that your family needs, or in this case, if you're talking about real estate, that the business needs. So less about looking for equality and more trying to over-deliver on your side. And hopefully you get a partner that is looking to over-deliver as well. That's awesome. And John, where can people get in touch with you? The easiest thing to do to get in touch with me is we have a free sample deal on our website. You can go to casmancapital.com slash sample deal and check that out there. Whether you want to be passive or active, it gives you a sense of the kind of information you should look for in a deal if you're going to work with investors. And the other thing is check out our podcast called Multifamily Insights. Great. Well, John, appreciate you being here. This has been very insightful. Best ever listeners, we hope you have a best ever day and we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for having me, Slogan.